I'm on. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you um, for today. Thank you for at least that it feels like fall, even though it's hot. Um, that feel like we're moving somewhere, and I really love that. I love uh, the way that you have created things and created change and movement. Lord, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to down the cross for our sins and to um, save us and to give us hope. And today, Jesus, I want to acknowledge uh, that we're all here, but we're here for different reasons, different um, places. Some of us are not sure about you. Some of us are really trying hard to keep it together in our mind. Some of us um, are excited to be here and just excited to see what you're doing. Um, Regardless, we're all here, and so we ask Jesus that you would honor us being here and us seeking you, and that you would find us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us the courage um, to believe what's true today, to hold on to what's true, to grab it and, and carry it through the week. But also, as we engage with one another I ask that you give us the courage not to hold against one another the way things are said or the little personality quirks that we all have, um, but that we would really seek the truth that's being spoken. And I ask that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So, as you may have picked up, um, we are in two services. This is our second morning service. Uh, so welcome to the second morning service ever of 18 years of the village. Um, it, it was interesting preaching to you guys last week because most of you are not morning people, I could tell, because you kept rubbing your eyes and trying to like connect that you were in a church in the morning. Um, but it's, it's good to see you. And the whole purpose we've done this, as you can see, you look around, there's actually chairs and space for people to sit. Um, a lot of times in the evening, it was, you know, 140 people and, and a lot of those being kids and most of us couldn't even hear ourselves think. And so we were all, you know, just kind of on adrenaline trying to make sure kids didn't smash each other or hurt each other or, or trying to hear one another. So anyway, what I have heard after the first morning service last week was people were like, oh, it was so nice. I could think and hear people talk. So that was, that was a, a major response. So it's good to be here. I want to talk to you this morning, and I'm practicing saying that this morning because I'm used to 18 years of saying this evening, um, is about identity and how identity is formed and how we form our identity in Christ. But I don't know, I mean, we're all, identity is basically the way you understand yourself. And we're always forming identity. Think about it when you're a little kid. In fact, there's a little kid here at the village. He's not so little anymore, but his name is Zeke. And when he was little, he started out saying he was going to be a fireman. Everybody in the church knew he was going to be a fireman because he told everyone he was going to be a fireman. We timed him to see how fast he could get out of his fireman outfit and into his regular clothes and back and forth. And we videoed that. But one day, he decided fireman was not what he's going to be. He was going to be a football player. So all of a sudden he had jerseys. He knew more facts than any of you about, you know, college and professional football. He loved LSU. He was into Leonard Fournette. He had it like he, we all knew that because he told us. Then one day, you know, six months later, I mean, he still liked football, but all of a sudden he was going to be an NBA player. 
And so he was dribbling the basketball and he was, and he was talking trash on the basketball court at my house, even though he couldn't even put the ball into the basketball hoop. But he, and again, he was talking to me about complex trades that were being made in the NBA that I had no idea about and he wanted my opinion. So he would start conversations with, hey, Eric, what do you think about the trade? Da, 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 right? So now his most recent identity is that he's going to be a Navy SEAL. He's checking that out. So he's got the haircut. He's reading all about Navy SEALs. He can tell you everything they do. He was telling me about their five days of no sleeping, and he's, he's got this thing down. He wants to be a Navy SEAL. Right? That's who he wants to be. But all of us are, are exploring our identities. And identities are formed in a couple ways. One is that we form our identity from internally. We say, I'm going to be this. Right? I am this. Um, so we say, I'm a fireman. I'm, and, and, and we end up kind of having these identities handed to us. Right? We're born in America. If you're born in America, then you're an American. You say, I am an American. Right? You, you, you say it, I. But a lot of times, our, the other way we form identity is by other people, right? And we form it, so psychologists talk about it, the I and the me. And the me is formed by other people. And the way that that's formed by other people is kind of in two ways. One is it's formed in a way where we kind of go into different situations and we begin to kind of pick up, okay, well, this is who I am, and this is what's valuable. And other times, people just tell us who we are, right? You're this. But ultimately, the way we work it is that we ask this question of people, and people really are the way we, our identities are defined. We ask people, who am I, right? We say, who am I? We're constantly asking who we are. So we have like a mirror we go up to them and they have a mirror and they're holding it and they say and we say who am i and they say this is who i think you are right and that shapes the way we understand ourselves now what happens in our in in our worlds is that we end up forming lots of negative identities right not positive identities and those identities kind of tell us what to do right so if you're a father then there are certain things that you do, and when you're not doing them, you're not being a father or you're not being a good father, right? So our identities tell us who we are. So when our identity tells, like when we begin to like have the world tells us, well, you're not pretty, right? You're not pretty, that becomes an identity, right? Um, Or maybe it says, you know, you're not good at this or you're not good at that. And we begin to form these, and then we have behaviors that come from our identity. So maybe if you're thinking, man, I'm not handsome or I'm not pretty, this is an easy one. Um, That's not necessarily something you did. You just came out that way, right? And other people came out pretty. But what you do is you begin to think, okay, well, I'm not like them, and the world says they're valuable and I'm not valuable, so I'm not going to take care of myself. I don't care. Or you're like, oh, no, 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 this is is what pretty is. I'm going to react, right? And so I'm going to emphasize the things that the world says are pretty or other people are saying are pretty or whatever it is or handsome. And I'm going to emphasize my thing. And this is what I'm who I am. And, you know, it's kind of a contrarian thing. But all of these kind of negative reactions to, you know, negative identities are really just trying to fill up inside of us an emptiness that we have, right? That Because even though identities that have been given to us that we have no control over, 
Like if, if they are negative, we feel an element of shame built in them, right? We feel ashamed that we look a certain way. We feel ashamed that we're not as smart as other people. We're, we feel like there's, there's shame that's built in that. And then when people begin to emphasize those negative things about us, we feel more shame, right? So we spend all our life trying to form identity. We're, we're doing it over and over. And here, here's, here's a good example. I was reading an article about a young woman who was struggling with her gender identity. And so she's kind of wrestling. So from very little, she began telling everybody she was a boy and she adopted a male name and she was moving that direction. And, and she entered into her teenage years and she started talking through this. What she realized and figured out was she was okay with being a girl, but when she was young, she had read all of these books. And in the books, all the women were the helpless damsel in distress, and all the men were the ones who got to go on the adventures and save people. And she was like, well, if women are always helpless, and I don't want to be a girl, I don't want to be a woman, I want to be a man, because they get to go on adventures, right? So there's an identity, and she was told what she was supposed to do, and so she's, she's changing that so that she can, you know, we're very, like, our identities are very, like, malleable, right? They change, like, things influence who we are. We're always trying to figure it out, right? I'm always trying to figure it out. So we're, we're in this series um, on the gospel, and the gospel means the victories or the good tidings or the good news of Jesus, but at the village, what we kind of, our shorthand for the gospel is that we believe it has three parts. And we talk about it over and over again at the village. And in fact, those of you who've been around for a while, you're like, oh, I've heard the sermon before. Hopefully he changes it a little, right? Because, but we think it's super important for us to review it over and over because it's very hard to hold on to. Um, and so we think the gospel has three parts. Part number one is the gospel is story. Part number two, the gospel is identity. And part number three, the gospel is kingdom. So last week, we talked about the gospel being story, right? And the, what I said was, what you, the story that you and I are living in most often is the story of me being God or you being God, right? That the world revolves around me. But the problem with that is, is that the world also revolves around you. And so if I'm God and you're God, then there's a clashing of gods. And so we get angry at each other. We get mad at each other. Um, because the world doesn't work the way we want it to. And yet we're the God, and we're the most important person. And so what happens is we end up suffering under depression, a sense of feeling powerless, anxious, and all that kind of stuff. But the invitation of the gospel and to Jesus' story, his death, his resurrection, is that he invites us to come live in his story, right? With him being the center. So what that means is that, that begins, we said last week, with us making a confession. The confession is that we believe that Jesus is Lord, and, or we, we confess that he's Lord, and we believe it in our heart. Like, we make a confession that we're not God, he's God. That we're going to make our life, surround our life around him, okay? So when we narrate things, we're narrating them from his perspective and what's his goals and his ideas, his thoughts. And the way we do that is we begin to let go of being God and resting in God, through Jesus, right? So that's the story. That's what we're invited into. But the second part of that is out of that, you and I are given an identity, right? 
God gives us an identity. And so today, what I want to do is just talk a little bit about that identity. Um, so where we're going to start, <laughs> thought it was kind of funny, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Um, somehow that got lost in translation with the slide person. But we'll just start, and so it goes this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is Paul talking. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So I want to stop there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Paul uses this little phrase, in Christ, 165 times in his epistle or his letters. There's a lot of those. And then if you consolidate those 165 times, he says, in Christ, that you're in Christ, 30, you can kind of bring it down to 32 different identities that Paul says, this is what God thinks of you. Okay? There's a reason for that. Because the world is constantly telling you who you are. This church, all these people, when you go have conversations over lunch, well, it's kind of like breakfast for lunch, I hear. But anyway, when you have that conversation, people are going to tell you who you are, both positively and negatively. Right? But your kids, you know, when your child is disobedient in public, He's telling you who you are, right? There's a, there's a feeling of you're trying to wrestle with, am I even a good mother? Like when you're in that moment at work and you get totally embarrassed because you didn't know what was going on, the world is sort of telling you who you are, right? And it's never a positive identity. It's never an identity that is like, yes, you know, my child is throwing a tantrum. I'm the most wonderful mother, right? I'm the best dad. Like you, you never have, it's always, I, I'm, I don't, I'm powerless. I've messed up. I don't know how to do this. I'm not a good parent, right? Whatever it is. I, I haven't been paying attention at work. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Okay. Paul says, you are a new creation. So how does that work? Because when you enter into Jesus' story, the identity you are given is kind of like the nationality, right? So I'm an, uh, an American. I was born in America. Somebody else is born in Mexico, they're a Mexican, right? That determines your identity in some way, and then you begin to explore it, and you kind of commit to different parts of it, right? So for me, like growing up, um, I had a really good American history teacher in high school, and at that point in that class, I decided I'm an American and I'm political, right? And so I decided, well, this party's the party I'm going to be for and I'm, I'm committed. So all the way from like, you know, little to high school, I was exploring what it meant to be American. People say this, oh, okay, we live here. Like I get, but at that moment, I'm like, no, I'm committed to this identity, right? Well, that's the same invitation that Jesus is giving us is that when we enter into his story, the first thing he says to you is that you are a new creation. The old is gone. All right? The old is gone. Which means, hey, girls. Hey, girls. I can hear you all the way up here. Thanks. The joy of a small church is I get to embarrass you over there. You'll get through it. My kids did. Um, anyway, so back to that. I was helping form their identity, hopefully in a negative, not a negative way. Uh, but anyway, so God says you're a new creation, right? And when he says you're a new creation, what he's really saying is no to everything else you're hearing. 
So here, here's when, when he says you are a new creation, he's saying, look, you have been going to your wife, you have been going to your friends, you have been going to the world and asking them, who am I? And then you've been taking that on. What Paul is saying is that Jesus comes to you and says, when you enter my story, I'm the only mirror you need to look at. And I'm going to give you a clear idea of who you are, right? You are a new creation. So all the things that have happened to you, all the things, the doubts, anxieties, fears, all those things, those are the old things that are going. I'm telling you, you are a new creation. You have to hold on to it. When you're struggling with your identity, God is saying, look in my mirror and nobody else's mirror. What I'm telling you is you are a new creation. Okay. So, so the next thing that he says is in, I want to look at is just Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He kind of explains this a little bit better. What does a new creation look like? So Ephesians chapter 2, Two verse ten, he says, "For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do." So, not only are you a new creation, but that new creation is finely tuned and creatively built by God, and different from everybody else. And on top of that, you have something uniquely to offer. Well, this is how this works. So, first, you have the mirror saying, "You're a new creation." But now you're in an argument with your best friend. And what they're telling you is that they, you have failed them. You didn't come through the times you wanted them to come through or they wanted you to come through. You said some things to your other friend about them and that got back to them and that's hurtful, right? So they're saying you failed in my friendship and this friendship and what you can hear, you, what your identity that you can take on looking in that mirror is I'm a failed friend. I can never come through for anybody. I'm not any good at this. But the answer that Jesus gives you is like, stop looking in that mirror. Yes, you have messed up. Jesus isn't going to deny that. But what he's saying is like, look in my mirror. I created you uniquely to offer that person something good. You can still offer them something good. I've created you to do that. You are uniquely made to offer something good. That doesn't mean you don't go in and repent. That may be part of offering something uniquely good. But what happens is, is like when you're in Christ, when the story is not around you and your failures and how you don't come through, it's in Jesus and what he's done for you and who he's telling you you are. It changes the way you interact in friendship. It changes. And this is what Jesus is doing. I don't know if you've ever seen a parent do this. This is what God's doing. But when a kid is try you're trying to get through to a kid, what do you do? You get down on your hands and knees you get their little face in your hands so that they can't look sideways and they're squirming and you're saying, no, this is what you will do. This is who you are. Well, that's what Jesus is doing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He's saying, it's okay. Like there's all this chaos around you, but listen, I created you for a particular purpose. I, you're not like anybody else. I designed you to offer something good, and I prepared those works for you, you can step into them, right? So again, what he's saying is, look in my mirror, not in everybody else's mirror, okay? So new creation, 
designed a particular way. Last, let's just look at First Peter. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is Peter bringing this identity down one more level. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, so Paul brings this, or Peter brings this down one more level. He says, let's put a name on what I've designed you to be, what God has designed you to be. God has designed you to be a priest amongst priests, to be a chosen people. Right? So your identity, wherever you go, the thing that you hold on to when you decide to stand in the story of Jesus is a priesthood. And he even tells you what a priesthood does. What a priest does is he, you declare the praises. Now, praises are talking about what God has done in your life, how God has moved you out of darkness and into light. Right? So you have been designed uniquely to express this journey out of darkness and into light. Your journey. Right? You are a priest. So this changes now the way that you and I interact because when I step into my marriage and my wife is disappointed in me, when I deal with my children who are getting older and older and they're interpreting the last, you know, 17 years of their life, you know, positively and negatively, I can either be defensive and begin to work with, oh man, like I'm not a good husband. Oh, I'm not come through the right ways as a, a father. Like, I, I should never have done all this. I, should, I, I shouldn't have started out this way. Or I can say, okay, yes, I'm, I'm a sinful being. I've done things that have been hurtful. But if I step in and listen to them with the concept of I'm a priest, I see past all of their false identities. I see past of all the things that they're wrestling with. And what do I see? I see that they're a new creation, and I begin to see how God has uniquely designed them to express things. Right? And I can begin to call that out by talking about how God has moved me out of darkness and into light, and invite them to move out of darkness and light. So when we live in the story, we get, to, we get an identity, and that identity is that we're a new creation, that we are wonderfully made to do stuff, and that our identity in the kingdom of God is that we are priests who have been given mercy and who are chosen to be a people who, who point towards God. But the question becomes in all of that, how do you get that from your mind into your heart? Right? Because these are really cool ideas. And if you practice them, they're life transformers. But how do you get there? Well, there's a couple ways I think that you can get there. Number one, we can just talk about how identities are generally formed, right? All identities are formed by you exploring, right? Figuring out if that identity fits. Um, and then when a crisis happens, how you're going to respond. So for instance, I love like new parents, brand new parents, mom and dad, they they, they are actually not mom and dad. Just because you have a little baby does not make you mom and dad. Yes, officially it does, but you're actually trying to put on, okay, I've never been a dad, now I'm dad. 
So you're trying on what does it mean for me to be a dad or what does it mean for me to be a mom? And then there's that moment when your baby is, I don't know how old, they get their first fever of 104, right? That's your first crisis. You don't know what to do. Like it's 104. Do I go to the emergency room? Do we just wait it out here? Do I call my doctor friend? Like you have to make a decision. And in that moment, you decide what it means to be a father or a mother, right? There's a crisis moment and then you commit. Like you're committed, you acted, and now you're dad, right? It defines who you are and how you're going to handle it. This happens all the time in all of our identities because suffering and crisis is how good and bad identities are formed. But the only way that we can begin to shape them is if we begin to explore our identity. To explore something is do you try it on. So if you go back to what Zeke is doing, Zeke tells everybody he's a fireman. Zeke tells you how he's going to make a million dollars as a football player. He's this scrawny little kid. Like he probably will always be slim. His dad was like, you know, 6'2", and probably weighed 190 pounds. You know, he's not, not going to necessarily be, you know, a football player. But he's telling everybody he is. And that's what exploring it is. It's saying, okay, I'm a priest, so how do I go do this? How do I respond? What am I supposed to do? You begin to talk about yourself as a priest, as a new creation, as someone who's designed for particular things. And you try it out. You explore it. And you wait for crisis. Because there will be a crisis, and that's when your relationship with God, your identity in Christ will be defined. Right? How are you going to respond to the crisis? And even if you don't respond well, you're, you'll begin to understand how you can shape your identity in that. So that's, that's part of it. Um, but the other part of getting to the, the mind, to the heart, is simply through prayer. And let me kind of explain how this works. There's this ancient story in 1 Samuel by a woman named Hannah. Right? And Hannah did not have couldn't have children. But Hannah's had, a, a, like her husband had another wife named Paniah. It's a great name. And she had children. And children were the mark of blessing, right? So her husband, Hannah's husband loved her much better than Paniah. It's a very dysfunctional family, right? Um, but one day they're going up to worship God and she has no children. So around her is suffering. She's intimidated and made fun of and poked at by Paniah. Her husband, if you read Samuel 1, is not the greatest at encouraging her. You know, he's like, don't I love you better than her? Why does it matter? Like, you know, it's very, it's, it's complexly dysfunctional. But she's in a place where she's empty and feels incomplete. And her identity, if she holds on to it, is one who is not blessed by God. So how does she deal with that mirror that's saying you're not blessed, with Paniah saying, look, you're not blessed? How does she deal with it? Well, she goes and she, to, the, to the place of worship and she lays it out all on the line for God. She tells him all about the things that she's suffering with. She just lays it out there. It's raw. And on top of that, if you read the narrative, she makes some deals with God. If you'll do this for me, I'll do this. Like she's willing to just say, here's who it is. Here I, you're the center of things. I can't control this, right? So for us to transition out of our false identities into the, our identity in Christ 
in the context of suffering and, and crisis, a lot of times it requires us to put ourselves on our face and say, God, like, this is it. This is how I feel. This is all that's there, right? So much so, you know, for Hannah, the, the priest Eli thought she was drunk because she was just sobbing and sobbing and praying. In order for us to connect emotionally to our, our identities in Christ, we have to be willing to engage Christ emotionally for our identities to transition from our minds into our hearts. So we have to be willing to pour it out because we live in a world that consistently is attacking who you are as a man and woman of God, who you are physically, mentally, spiritually, you know, ethnically, all those things are being messed with by the enemy in the world. That's why Paul is so clear with 165 in Christ, because he wants us to remember who we are. But see, when, what happens then when you and I move from an identity, a negative identity, into being in Christ, is the way we impact other people's identities transforms communities, right? Because when I decide to live as a priest, a new creation, someone designed by God to offer you guys good things, when I'm doing that, I will change your life, right? Think about it this way. Rod was telling me a story about uh, when we were driving down from Flagstaff yesterday about his father. Now, here, here is a man, you know, who's not perfect, but a man who lived in his identity in Christ. He went to Rod's basketball coach, who was thinking about going to get a college basketball job. And he basically said, and I'm going to paraphrase the story, but he basically said, look, my children need mentors. They look up to you. They need someone to guide them. You're good at this. Don't go take that job. My children need you. Well, that was transformative in that coach's mind in that he had never really thought of himself as a mentor of young men. So in this little moment, when this guy understood what he had to offer, changed this coach's life, right? Our identities and our understanding of who we are in Christ change when we're in a community of people who are willing to act in their identities in Christ. Because what happens is we look at each other and we call each other out and we say, you are this. This is who you are in the kingdom of God. This, we can look past each other's pride and, and angst and we say, no, 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 this is who God has called you to be. Right? Because we're no longer the center. Because we're living in Jesus' story. And so all of a sudden we're seeing everybody else in Jesus and we're seeing what Jesus has called us to say and be. And that's life transforming. And if you could imagine what happens then in a community like that, as people are empowered in their marriages, in their friendships, they're empowered in their world to draw people towards Jesus. And it's powerful. It's crazy. The kingdom of God is crazy. Awesome. So, I have a little bit of time, and I would love to just continue the conversation for about five minutes or so about identity. If you've got questions or thoughts or things you want to add to what I had to say, um, I've got a mic right here. Corey will pass it around. So if you have questions, 
So we're going to go with Ruben over there first. That's so weird. Can everybody hear me with this thing? I can't hear myself. Oh, that's better. Um, so it's good to talk. It's good to talk about, uh, you know, shedding negative identities that the world gives you and. Um, you know, living under the identity of Christ. But what about all the positive identities the world feeds you? Because it would be easy to argue that you need some of those just to get by. But, you know, from an eternal perspective, is there any difference? Because it's still coming from the world. The intent is still the same. Sure. Right. That's my question. God's common grace is present in the world. He speaks through many voices. And just the law of averages, the world's going to get some of it right. <laughs> it's true. We got uh, back here. I don't know the end of this thought, but I do know the beginning of it being the world giving us positive identity is uh, sometimes we lean into the positive identity that the world gives us um, and it creates, it has a negative impact because it's, it's what we have to stay about and we have to become about it and we have to keep performing at that level or in that way uh, in order to be okay. And so I feel like sometimes the positive identity that we're, is reflected back to us is a true, uh, like resonates truly with what God is saying to us, but sometimes it can be damaging actually to step into that and receive affirmation of even something that feels positive at the time. Right. So you're beautiful. You're more important than everybody else. You need to maintain that. Kind of going off of that, um, I feel like sometimes we can get defensive when we are called out by our community um, for what they see when they see Christ in us. You know, I feel like we can become attached to these negative identities and they feel like a part of us. And we feel that, you know, it's, it's just me, you know, like why do you just not like me as a person, you know, because it has become that part of your identity. And that happened to me recently. Um, and so I got defensive and I argued about it. And then as I think about it, um, as I've, I've taken actions to move away from that, I, that negative identity that I had associated myself with, um, I start to see more openly what, they mean and how I'm being called into the community um, by Christ. So, yeah, I, that's all I have to say. <laughs> no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Anybody else? Thoughts? Questions? Kevin. I think that perhaps tied into receiving and giving identities to people in the world is the verse that's right before 17, which is... Um, so now we know, so, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, or in other translations, according to the flesh. Right. And so that's a pretty freeing concept, I think. So if we can discern identities that we're receiving from others and say, is that according to the flesh? Is that according to the, a worldly perspective? Yeah. And if it is, you can kind of throw it out. Um, I think, I'm still thinking about this right now, but I'm thinking about when you said earlier 
So if I'm standing in my identity, how I can see past my husband or my kids or my friends' pride and all these things, and I'm thinking about like the spectrum of relationships, the people that are not as close to me, how it can be so much easier to see through their stuff Mm -hmm. and how humbling it is in your closest relationships where you think you're kind of standing in your identity and all of a sudden their pride just takes you. And I, I mean, I guess it's just the humbling realization of how much we need to come back to standing in it. But I'm, I'm also kind of picturing the table of decision, like what does it look like in those places where you get hooked to grasp a hold of your priesthood in that moment, you know? Kind of question, kind of thought. Yes. I think I'm going to leave it at that, too. It's, <laughs> it's very good. Anybody else? Have a few more yeah, in the back. So how do you know what your identity in Christ is? Is it just your own personal discernment process or like is it because i'm not really sure what a priesthood like being a priest means you know so i'm not really how do you find that identity okay so and that's a good question because sometimes we think about our identities as like oh okay well i'm a writer or i'm a you know i'm a musician or i'm you know whatever like i'm an engineer we have these kinds of identities that we're looking at um, but I think when it when it comes to your identity in Christ, the first part is understanding the newness of who you are, right? Because it's connecting to the fact that all the things that could be accused that could accuse you can no longer accuse you. So first, the, your identity is built in like I cannot be accused. I'm justified in Christ. Like I'm made right in Christ. There's no accusation that could be made against me. That's, that's really important because what it does is it removes the shame and the guilt that we live under in, in, on, when we're the God and we're the center of things. So I think that's the, the place that you begin. When you, move, like, when you move past, okay, I'm designed to offer something good and God's put that there for me, being a priest, in, in, at least, I mean, there's in uh, Peter's thing there, all you are, have to do to start it is to talk about how God has moved you out of darkness to light. Being a priest is being willing to consistently talk about how God is moving you from those places of darkness into light. There isn't a lot of other, I mean, there's a lot of things you can then grow into, but that's the place you begin, and that's the place you consistently come back to. Like the way I offer my priesthood to you is to say, look, I used to be someone who lied and exaggerated. I used to be someone given to hyperbole, and God intervened partly from this community and and intervened in other ways in my life to bring me into a place where I am honest and when I'm not I feel free to confess it because I'm not accused right because I'm forgiven that's that's me being a priest to you just saying here's where I'm at that's how we act I think as a priest in other people's lives I think the other way is for me to say oh Rose like you are so kind like, I taste Jesus in you when I talk to you. Like, that's me, t- that's me, and I'm telling you the truth now. Like, that's your identity, right? That's part of what I experience in t- and when I'm around you, is your grace. So part of it is, is having people say, this is who you are, and then you're like, okay, I'll try that on. 
Like, I'll see if that feels like what I am in Christ. Because that sounds like, as, as, as Kevin was saying, that sounds like that's something that's not from the world. That's something that comes from God. So, yeah. That's how I'd explain that. I think I'm, unless there's one more question, I need to close. Anybody? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this community. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for dinner coming, or lunch coming, I guess. Um, please bless that to our bodies. I just ask that as we sing and as we eat together that you would be amongst us. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen.